everyone, and welcome to Picard Cast. I am, as always, Brooke, and I'm here with my wonderful, fabulous co-host, Rebecca. Hello, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. And of course, as always, we are not alone. We have our friend Dan from uh, the Heroes of Noise podcast and the Word podcast. If you like uh, Preacher, take a listen. Welcome, Dan. Hey, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. So uh, we're glad that you could be here. Just to let our audience know, um, what is your relationship with Star Trek? You know, how did you go about wanting to watch this? Like, did you decide this was one you wanted to watch or, you know, that kind of thing? (laughs) Okay, fair enough. I can answer both of those questions. So Star Trek was always on in my house as a kid. Now... I don't want to speak blasphemy, but I grew up a little more partial to Star Wars. But at the same time, my dad was really big into Star Trek. So I recall it being on on the weekends all the time. There was something very calming about the ambience of that show. I don't know if it's just like the background. uh, What do you call it? Just the machinery in the background, that calming kind of whirr that's always there, you know. But um, I just really something about Star Trek is particularly the, the original series uh, brings back this nostalgia with me of sitting there with my dad and watching it. And, you know, I, I admit sometimes I wasn't always paying attention. I was quite little at the time, but it was something that it became like a comfort food thing with me. I'm not as versed in Star Trek as I am in other things, but I've always had this great appreciation for it. I've always loved the characters. Um, it's just always been, like I said, like a comfort food thing. Anytime it's on, I, I, it stays on just because of the way that it makes me feel. I don't know if that sounds weird or not, but it's like, you know, there's certain people that you can hear talk. And you just want to hear them talk and talk and talk. It's kind of like that with that show and the ambience of that show. And even more so with The Next Generation. Uh, I found that I was a little more partial to that one. I think mostly because I was of an age that I could truly understand a lot of what was going on with it. But I did appreciate the uh, political correctness in it and just the way that it it kind of it, it evolved right away. Like even from the beginning, you know, instead of saying you know, to boldly go where no man has gone before. It went to, to boldly go where no one has gone before. I'm like, oh, good on you, Picard. Good on, you know what I mean? Good on you. And I, and I always liked that. And I thought that it was a little bit more, like it taught a little bit more about, you know, uh, th- or I should say, I was going to say today, but the morals back then. And uh, just this, like, it was like a little bit more socially aware to me, I think. At least that's how it, you know, rubbed off on me. But as far, I was always like an action figure guy. So I had a bunch of Star Trek figures. I had Star Trek figures of the characters I didn't even know. Uh, I kind of like, you know, bled them all together and just had like this crazy space war. But Star Trek is special to me. It's just that I would not be able to call myself a super fan, but I'm starting to really appreciate it. And I can say that because of this, to answer the second part of the question. um, Well, the reason that I chose this one is because this was they said, do you want to uh, I think it was Rebecca said, do you want to record (laughs) and talk about Descent? And I'm like, yes, I would absolutely love to. So I ended up watching I'm not going to lie. We've got one episode left. Do you want it, (laughs) Technically two, but it's one story. It was like, you get this and you don't throw a fit. But no, it was cool. And I'm glad that I really liked this episode. But you know something? It it sparked like this new newfound love for it. And my wife and I, my wife Gail and I are actually going back and rewatching all of it now. Um, awesome. I don't know where like the, the uh, Orville fits into this. I know that it's very, it, it's taken away a lot from Star Trek The Next Generation, at least in my opinion. But I think that because I liked that show, it made this one a little more palpable for me, again, as an adult, and I'm really enjoying it. And again, that calming thing is still there. So we're, we're really enjoying it so far. I'm in, like, all the way now. Mm-hmm. Nice. All right. 
so since I forgot to say that we were <laughs> covering the descent, <laughs> but you did mention it, we were covering the descent, and uh, we're going to be doing part one this episode. You'll have to tune in next week for part two. Uh, <clears throat> this is from season six, episode 26, so it's the last episode of the season. I actually have two original air dates. Which was weird, because uh, Wikipedia had June 21st of 1993, but IMDb said it was June 19th, so I didn't do any more digging to figure it out, so it was June. <laughs> it was the last episode of the season. <laughs> um, it was directed by Alexander Singer, and the story was Jerry Taylor who did it, but then Ronald D. Moore did the, the teleplay, so, you know, they sort of had a work together uh and a side note jerry taylor is from evansville indiana and like that's just across the river from where i grew up in kentucky so that's really exciting um and she's still around she's 81 she's she's done a lot of like producing and writing and all that and you know She's still kicking it, so that's exciting. <laughs> oh, bless her Good heart. For her. Yeah. You know, but before we go any further, um, and I, I know, Brooke, you told me before we started recording I should bring it up, and of course, and I forgot. Yes, I know. Um, yeah. uh, so we're recording this, uh, full disclosure, in December, early December, and uh, in the previous episode, we talked about we had lost some people in Trek. Well, uh, we've lost uh, actually two more people in Trek. Wow. Um uh, we just lost Rene Auberjonois, which uh, if you are a Star Trek fan, you know he played Odo mm-hmm. on Deep Space Nine. But he had an incredibly long career mm-hmm. playing many recognizable characters. You probably remember him from Benson. Mm-hmm. You probably remember him from Boston Legal. He was the original Father Mulcahy in the MASH movie. Mm-hmm. Um he was the voice of the French chef in the Little Mermaid cartoon from Disney. So um, you know him from something. And uh, and then about a day or two after we heard about Renee's passing, uh, Marina Sirtis, who plays Counselor Deanna Troy, her husband passed away. So uh, sort of in the Trek family, too. We've had two deaths and... Yeah, adding Have, to the loss of the actor who played Nog, also on Deep Space Nine. I was so, about to ask if we had recorded since Nog had passed. I don't I, think we okay. have. So, yeah, it's been a while. So, yeah, unfortunately, yeah, rest in peace. And, um, yeah, it's a, if, if you – now's a great time to jump in and watch Deep Space Nine again if you haven't in a while mm-hmm. because I think if you go back and watch Deep Space Nine, you'll be really blown away by how incredible – Renee's performance as Odo is every every week to sit in that chair and get that makeup put on to have that face look like it has no features um yeah and absolutely incredible and yeah he's definitely the like the data of that group yes oh yeah I totally agree on that he's uh trying to be as human as possible but he doesn't understand it exactly you know so he pulls that off really well because uh, he is a really is a great actor just like Brent Spiner so or was yeah so <laughs> anyway um yeah so thank you for yeah any, any yeah I just kind of wanted to jump in with that before before I forgot yep that's good may they rest in peace indeed the synopsis of this episode is 
During an encounter with the Borg, Data feels his first emotion when he gets angry with the cybernetic race. So we're going to get racist Data. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. <laughs> Data is racist. <laughs> so in the first scene... Always knew it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so in the first scene, we see Data playing poker. Oh, this is a cold open, everyone. Uh, we see Data playing poker. Uh, it's He's got Einstein and uh, Sir Isaac Newton and Stephen Hawking. So Einstein is played by Jim Norton. Uh, he is an Irish actor who also appeared in season four episode, The Nth Degree, where he was talking to uh, Barkley you know, when Barkley became a genius. <laughs> and uh, it's so kind of funny to me. I found out that he was Irish and not, you know, German. Um, then the guy who plays Sir Isaac Newton, I did not write down his name because I forgot to, but he, if you watch the X-Files, he's one of the guys in the sort of like shadow organization that the smoking man is in and all that kind of thing. So he's called like the well-dressed man or something like that. Um, and then Stephen Hawking is played by Stephen Hawking. So that's exciting. But, uh, side note, um... Brent Spiner, when he found out that Stephen Hawking was going to be in this, he thought he might be playing Stephen Hawking. At least that's what he said. <laughs> and uh, then was excited when he found out Stephen Hawking was going to be there, but said, you know, because he is a jokester, uh, said, uh, but I think this guy will cost me my Emmy. Because, you know, he likes being silly. <laughs> <laughs> but a cool thing I found out is that Stephen Hawking is was a huge Star Trek fan, and uh, it, it came to light when Leonard Nimoy did a did an introduction at like a thing for one of Hawking's books, and his agent suggested to him to you know, oh hey, he's a real big fan, yeah, he'll be on it if you want him to, and so they asked him to be on here, and he was super excited. He got to go sit in the captain's chair, which was something he really wanted to do. Uh, he um, called the studio afterward. He says in one of his books that he called the studio afterward and asked uh, about his uh, poker winnings, uh, if they could give him that. And they said that they didn't know what the exchange rate would be, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> and a weird thing, he wanted to be put into a closet in between scenes so that he could just, like, think but I, it, it, he just he didn't want any kind of distractions, and and I was like, that's crazy. Like he just you know wanted to do his thing. Um, I also saw that he said when they went on the tour of the set that when they go past the warp core, he said, "I'm working on that." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I mean the guy was a was a was a huge genius yeah. and and wrote books that are like completely way over my head i mean the stuff that he just churned out was uh, no way could i understand it mm -hmm. and um i do not doubt that if stephen hawking had lived he probably would have figured out a way to make to make warp uh, a reality right <laughs> yeah no he and he was a very prolific scientist of course um 
can, can you imagine being like having so many thoughts in your head that you're just like, I need to be alone so I can think. <laughs> I have so many thoughts in my head. Like that's just incredible. Right? Somebody put me in the closet so exactly. I can process all <laughs> yeah. this information. So yes. Think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And he probably did. He probably did walk around the set too. Like, yeah, I could do that. <laughs> Eh, well, it needs a little work. He, he didn't I got walk this all around in my head. the set. <laughs> oh, right. roll. Okay. I, yeah. You know. Yeah. But, you know. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean to be rude. <laughs> no, you're, uh, you're he, being quite factual. He is the only person in uh, that's been on the uh, next generation who has played themselves. So that was interesting, I thought. Because there's been a lot of uh, guest stars, but there's also been a lot of guest characters who have been real people, but they, you know. Obviously, Isaac Newton wasn't alive anymore. Einstein wasn't alive anymore. You know, uh, Mark Twain, any of those people. None of them are are alive, so <laughs> they couldn't play themselves. <laughs> um, but um, there's a point, I wrote this down because I just thought it was hilarious, that Isaac Newton is like, I invented physics. And he was talking about the day that the apple fell on his head, that it was you know, the biggest deal in science. And Data says that that he thought that was apocryphal. And he's right, because the apple didn't fall on his head. He was just walking and he saw it fall. And, uh, but he did. One of them said, oh, not this story again, or whatever. Not the apple story again. Because apparently, Einstein told that story a lot. Just, he never told anybody that it hit him on the head. <laughs> so I thought that was cool. <laughs> Um, so, something else that's apocryphal is that he asked, uh, Einstein, well, can you do basic arithmetic? And because it's this wrong, uh, quote-unquote fact that Einstein, uh, was bad at math as a kid. That's not true. He was always really brilliant. Uh, the greatest of kids. Verbal, yeah. I think, right? Is that is that true? I don't know if that's true. I read that somewhere, uh, that Einstein was not, not very verbal as yeah. a child. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, he did really advanced math and stuff as a child, but he just was, you know, more, like, asocial, I guess, you know, and a, a little bit, and he was sort of odd and all that kind of thing. But, yeah, he just had a lot of things going on in his head, obviously. <laughs> sure. So, so, you know, they're laying down their cards, and Hawking wins. You know, wanted to know where his winnings were. Um, but Riker calls a red alert. So Data gets up from the table. And, of course, you know, he's, he says, uh, you know, computer in program or whatever. Because, oh, we didn't know it was, <laughs> that it was a holiday. Oh, good thing. Who knew it was It was all a simulation. Woo! I thought that Sir Isaac Newton was actually on the Enterprise. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, another cool thing that I read is Hawking says wrong again, Albert, and that's in reference to the fact that Stephen Hawking he disproved some of Einstein's theories. <laughs> and I was maybe oh, that should, is funny. Maybe I should look at my notes <laughs> to see what I wrote so I can find the word. <laughs> I love that he was just in smack talk mode yes. through that whole thing. Yes. You know what I mean? And and his smile kind of like played into that too. You know what I mean? He was always yes. a smiley guy, yes. but I just love the fact that they're sitting around. As you do when you're playing poker, smack talking, you know what I mean? And just playing the part. I thought that was a really great thing. Yeah. Rick Berman. But he said that Hawking came up with uh, some tweaks to the script to make it funnier, uh, which Berman called delightful. <laughs> mm. So, you know, 
the mischievous grin was uh, all part of it. <laughs> I mean, it's not every day that, you know, Professor Stephen Hawking polishes your script. You know, <laughs> right. it's just, it's not right. every day that that, you know, I, 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 I don't think George Lucas was sending him, you know, drafts of Star Wars being like, could you take a look and could you maybe could you punch it up have. a little bit? But maybe he should have. Carrie Fisher there's a, could there's only some do truth so in much. that, yes. <laughs> oh, anyway. Uh, yeah, I mean, really, like, like he needed to add script doctor to his resume. Come on. <laughs> uh, so scene two, we see the Enterprise in space like we usually do after the credits or sometimes in the cold open. Um, then the title, Descent, appears uh, in the, the upper left-hand corner. This is just the first part, which we know because, you know, that's how time we live in works. Yes, we live in the future. <laughs> and I assume that they were just hiding the fact that it was a two-parter, you know, so there would be more of a surprise or whatever. But being that it was the end of the season... You could have probably bet that there was going to be a two-parter. So we see Picard enter the bridge, and Riker informs him that they've got a distress call from Oneaka 3 outpost, um, saying that they're under attack. Um, They go there, and they find this unknown ship that doesn't respond to any of the hails, uh, and there's some sort of interference that's keeping the Enterprise from contacting the outpost. So Riker grabs Data and Worf to go on, you know, a exploratory mission to see what's up. Uh, In the next scene, we see the outpost. It's one of those, like, matte paintings. And I made a note that it reminds me more of the Star Wars matte paintings because of, like, it's got the different colors in the sky, and it's really more detailed. But what's funny is it was actually used as the Darwin Genetic Research Station in Unnatural Selection in 1989, which that's, you know, sort of when they started having nicer-looking backgrounds. (laughs) Just think back to the first season where it looked like the 1960s and it was kind of funny and it was also the arc arena base in starship mine in 93 so earlier in this season they'd already used it that's cool (laughs) they're getting their money's worth yeah oh yeah (laughs) yeah you know so they just do touch-ups and change some things and hey you got a new base we paid for the painting we're gonna use it put it in the show I make paid. some changes drop it in i paid one billion dollars for that painting <laughs> wow. a lot of money a lot of budget on that show <laughs> that's why they've got to use the painting all the time <laughs> anyway <laughs> oh now i can't stop laughing so the away team is beams down and they have a security officer named karelki with them and um you know she's just sort of a an unknown but Hey, she's, she got named, so that's exciting for her. Yeah. <laughs> they they split up. She goes with Worf. They go off to check the crew because they've boomed down, and the only people they see so far are dead. They can't figure out why they're dead. Or, or who killed them? They know why they're dead. <laughs> they can't figure out who killed them, but they have something similar to a Ferengi phaser sort of wounds, but not quite, and so they don't know what it is yet. Data and Riker are inspecting their main control room and data opens a panel in the wall to like 
a closet or he doesn't know it could go to a hallway or another room and inside it is a borg and uh i, I actually hate wrote, when that happens right i actually wrote inside is a <gasps> borg <laughs> could have been stephen hawking's apparently he likes those closets no, right yeah. exactly <laughs> I'm thinking in here. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe that was him. Maybe he was in a board costume. Find your own closet. This is mine. But apparently there were 274 crew members, and they were all taken out by these board. Then, finally, we get the intro with the music and Patrick Stewart talking and shots of the ship and everybody's credits and everything it goes on for over five minutes before the introduction which is kind of crazy i don't know if any of the other ones have had that long of sort of a cold open but they didn't want to really split up all of the action or anything you know and this is the only episode to to be like that that has the the title and all that listed before the actual opening sequence we go back after where no one has gone before we go back to the outpost that borg that we found in the closet fires on Riker. he ducks out of the way just in time <laughs> and data raises his phaser fires at the borg we assume he kills it or he knocks it over or something you know it's hits the ground whatever we don't pay attention several more come around the corner and so then it's just a whole firefight Worf and Karelki come back to help help their crewmates, of course, because they hear all this commotion. So we go back to the Enterprise, and the unknown ship uh, fires on our heroes. Picard commands for evasive maneuvers, and he wants to return fire. And unfortunately, their shields are only at 80% at the moment, so can't take too much. We go back to the base. The firefight continues. It looks like Data is getting the speed out of him and I did write <laughs> I did write phaser SFX because I know knew I was gonna bleep myself out <laughs> uh, but luckily data rallies back and he gives that to board the what for uh, Riker kills Torsus this Borg has a name and that's kind of weird and the reason we find out he has a name is because one of his comrades is like Oh, you killed Torsus. You know, I'll I'll make you suffer for that. So Riker is just, he's sort of dumbfounded. He's got this look on his face because, one, this Borg had a name. And, two, he found out from a Borg who said, I. It's like, whoa, what the heck's going on here? So I, I just have a quick question for Dan here. So I know, yeah. Dan, you said um, being uh, a bit more of, of a casual fan, are you familiar with these villains, the Borg? Oh, of course. Yeah, actually, okay. they are probably my favorite villain. Oh, cool. Yeah, okay. and I, that's why I got excited when you said, you want to do this one? So, yeah, I was actually pretty happy about that. But that's what I'm taking from it, too, just to make sure that I'm on the same page as you, is that I believe the term they used was automatons. They're normally automaton, mm -hmm. right? Where they're all one unified yeah. thought, correct? Colle yeah, they have like a collective, collective is actually the word yeah. I'm looking yeah. for. Yeah. yeah, the collective okay. is what they call it. And, like, instead of having names, they have designations, mm -hmm. like, you know, third of five, seven of nine. Mm -hmm. um, and they never say I. They always say we. Mm -hmm. So but no, Much less have has... first names or anything like that. Right. No, yeah. It's not like, hey, Joe, how's it going over there in the board cube? Like, it's, it's <laughs> never – yeah, yeah, never like that. Okay, I wasn't – I just wanted to make sure that you uh, you were familiar with these uh, with these guys. 
I very much appreciate that. Very courteous of you. The, the hosts are fantastic on the show. Oh, <laughs> <Aww>, thanks. <laughs> Another Borg tries to choke Data, which I think is kind of funny because he knows that he's anyway. He's an android. It's anyway. So you know, Data's like, no, don't do it. He's trying to get him off him and all that. And then Data just like body slams him. Like okay, and then he like picks up, he kind of like picks up his head and swash, smashes him against the wall too. It's like, geez, Data, what's you know that seems kind of rough. He seems kind of odd. I mean, not in regular Data odd, but odd for Data. If that makes sense. There's a Borg, and he seems to be checking out all the the Federation people that are there. You know, oh, a Klingon, you know, human, whatever. And then he's like. Data. He's an android. And we don't really know why he's doing that at the, this moment, but Riker overhears him and he gets another like confused look on his face because he's just like, what is going on here, you know? All the Borg are then beamed back to their ship. After they've re reclaimed all their people, the Borg ship breaks orbit and then they disappear. The Enterprise, like, had locked their torpedoes on them and shot, but they're gone. And they have no idea what happened, where they're gone, what's happening. So, you know, they're going to have to check that out. But they go back to the planet to get the away team. And we see them at the outpost. And I wrote that Data is mimicking the Arthur meme. <laughs> because <laughs> they show him, like, clenching his fist. <laughs> if anyone's seen the, uh, the meme of Arthur, the aardvark, clenching his fist. Mm -hmm. That's exactly, <laughs> like... I wouldn't have thought that, you know, years ago. But now, that was the first thing I saw when I saw it. That's a good pool, by the way, Arthur. I like that. <laughs> but he's kind of staring sort of at the ground area. The, I don't think he was... Was he staring at the actual Borg that he killed? Because I feel like he was in a different spot. I, I, I think the all the dead Borg had been beamed away. Okay. Um, so I think he was kind of just like zoning out. Okay, that's what. Yeah, I he was in his own head. That's right? what, that's what I thought too. Riker asks him if he's okay. You know what's going on, and you know he's he's worried. Like you can tell that he's worried about Data because Data just doesn't seem right. And Data says everything's fine, uh, but um, I got angry when I killed the Borg. <laughs> And uh, in scene, it's like, oh, this is new. <laughs> so we've got, so far we've got, like, rogue Borg, and then Data feeling angry. Like, this, this is definitely turning out to be, like, an interesting episode. So we go back, we see the Enterprise. It is Stardate. Four six nine eight two point one, which turns out to be Wednesday, September third, twenty three sixty nine, and it's about ten o eight a.m. Didn't give any seconds, so I guess it was ten o eight a.m. right on the dot. <laughs> yep, at, at the tone, it will be ten o eight exactly. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be star date four six nine eight two point one. <laughs> uh, Data had asked to be relieved of duty, which we find out from the captain's log. Jean-Luc Picard's voiceover, you know, because he's worried about being angry. He wants to kind of lay low for a bit. We see the Picard talking with Riker, Worf, Dr. Crusher, and Troy about this whole outpost situation in the observation room. 
Uh, Riker feels like the fighting style of these Borg was more akin to Klingons than, you know, the regular Borg's fighting style. <laughs> and he sort of stops halfway in his sentence and looks over at Worf and he's like, you know, like, no offense. And Worf's yeah, like, Yeah, no offense. Worf's like, None taken. You know, he's. <laughs> you know, of course, he appreciates it. Klingon warriors. <laughs> they, you know, think that these Borg, like I said, are rogue Borg because they are acting as more of individuals. They seem to be concerned for other Borg. They had names. They used I, all that kind of thing. It's the only thing that seems to make them Borg is that they look like Borg. <laughs> you know, they don't operate like Borg. You know, they're killing people instead of assimilating people. So, you know, this is a mystery that they've got to solve. Mm. So, Picard wants to find out all he can about them because, like I said, they're not your everyday average Borg. Uh, he has Worf set up security, uh, armed security on all, all the decks. Uh, he has Riker check out the scans of the ship. They want to, you know, determine if they constructed it themselves or if they stole it from somebody. So, the next scene, we have Jordy and Data in, it looks like engineering, and Jordy is scanning Data's brain and all, uh, just to make sure everything's okay, and turns out they can't find anything wrong, and Data did his own, like, self-scan. I guess he's sort of like a self-cleaning oven. <laughs> <laughs> he's a self <laughs> Self-scanning android. <laughs> Just leave him alone for two hours and he does all the work. Yeah, yep. right? <laughs> hey, do you think after he does his self-diagnostic, he goes like, ding, yes. I'm done. Yes. <laughs> Fries are done. Fries are done. <laughs> <laughs> and they couldn't figure out, as he says, why he had a behavioral anomaly. Data just breaks it down to Jordy and is like, hey, I think I was angry. And Jordy's like, I mean, are you sure? And then, you know, Data says, well, what does it feel like to be angry? <laughs> and I'm giving way too much inflection for Data. <laughs> mm. Or am I? No. <laughs> Sorry. I'm laughing at my own jokes, you guys. This is an everyday <laughs> thing for me. <laughs> but uh, so Jordy tries to explain what it feels like to be angry, but can't really explain what it feels like to be angry for someone who doesn't know what any kind of feelings are or what any kind of emotion you know you can't explain it you can't work that way so he just said you know i just feel angry and he does this little hand motion and so data is like well i just felt angry and he did the same sort of motion but you know of course the genius of brit spiner he can do it and still be sort of robotic and like he's mimicking geordie but not as fluid as like a human so he's very he's very good at sort of walking that line on the uncanny valley for being you know a human who's playing an android he does such a good job making you think he is one most of the mm -hmm. time but you know this this scene is very interesting because you know often like the scenes between Jordy and Data are always so interesting because you know it's it's Data trying to understand humanity it's Jordy trying to explain it to him and and it's a really great question of of Data saying what is it like to get angry and 
I thought to myself, if I had to tell somebody without using other feelings what it was like to be angry, I don't think I could do it. Like, it's it's hard to describe a feeling without referencing other feelings. It's like if somebody who's, who is colorblind asks, what does the color red look like? How, how do you describe that? Like, how do you, you have no point of reference. Um, yeah. But like it, I I really enjoyed this little scene of Data trying to understand anger and Jordy trying to explain it to him. But sometimes there there is no explaining emotions; you just have them. Yeah, and that you know, and that goes to where he just says, "I just felt angry." That's mm-hmm. just you can't explain it, and because uh, you know he used like contempt and frustrate all these kind of words to mean angry, but he couldn't figure out how to explain it to data but um so data you know feels like he's had his first real emotion uh i saw a couple places where they were like no that's wrong because in uh q who i think is the title of the episode q makes him laugh and then he said oh that felt good but feelings and emotions not aren't necessarily the same thing Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. there, 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 there is a scene where Q, um, there's a, that that episode. Q gives Data a gift yep. because um, Q was like human for a while, and Data was like his guide and mm-hmm. and showing him around, whatever. And he makes he gives Data the gift to laugh, mm-hmm. like really belly laugh, mm-hmm. uh, and and feel and just feel laughter for mm-hmm. that one moment, and but then that that's it. So I guess like. Yeah, you could say maybe, but yeah, I, I think this, I think the sensation of laughing with no reference, I mean, that just makes you the Joker. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't really make you like feel funny. I, I think I would agree that this is actually Data's yeah. first emotion yeah. where he actually feels something and then acts on that feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. It's like you keep using the word reference, which is the perfect word, because he has no reference mm-hmm. to true emotion. So he's able, to, his body's able to simulate the actions involved with it, such as a laugh or mm-hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm. But he has no way of actually linking the two together to actually experience that that real emotion. So yeah, I would agree with you that this is the first time, by the way he's acting, that he's actually felt something that's different than anything he's mm-hmm. ever simulated before, which is why he's so perplexed by it. Exactly. I think with the laughing thing, like, you know, Q made him, like, feel it and what it felt like, you know, it releases some endorphins or whatever, you know, that kind of thing and in your brain and, and you feel, you just, uh, it just maybe feels good, but he didn't, it wasn't necessarily happy, but, or, you know, like, it could be a couple different things for laughing, but, you know, and the whole, like, motion of laughing and everything, because it was, like, a completely hysterical laugh. But this was, like, real emotions and feelings, and it's like a drug, and I think he wants more, but we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah, like, whatever substituted for adrenaline, he was definitely feeling that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we'll get to it in a minute where he says that he felt pleasure from it. I mean, we can talk about it now. Like, that he was pleased, basically, at, at killing this Borg, you know, because he's racist data now. <laughs> he hates all board you know it it does open up a really and 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 i i know we're kind of jumping around a little bit but we are coming up to a scene in a bit where data talks to counselor troy and 
it makes sense because she is the ship's counselor. She is a psychologist. Like she's there to help people process their feelings. And we can go ahead and talk about that scene because it's just the next scene is in between those two. And cool. this one and that one have more in common. So yeah, cool, go ahead. Cool. So um, you know, and he's talking about um he he says that anger is a negative emotion. And then Troy says that feelings are not are neither negative nor positive. They just are. And then it's what you do with them that's either negative or positive. So I actually thought, like, wow, so progressive of this show to really to say something that I, it took me seven plus years in therapy to grasp that, like, no, right. anger is not a negative emotion. Anger is anger. And another thing she says that took me a bit in therapy is that you shouldn't suppress those feelings if you have those feelings they're valid it's basically what she tells mm -hmm. him you know even though he's an android and he's not supposed to have feelings she wants him to know that it was okay that he did right and exactly this is so, one of the few times that she actually gets to be a counselor i know like once they put her in a uniform, she I got know. smart oh, all of a sudden. I meant to so. have yes, I meant to have like a note where uh, we first see her that she's wearing like a regulation uniform, not like the dress on like she did sometimes in season one, but with the pants and everything. And it's just like, all right, I know she started wearing a uniform and suddenly she got smart. So there's that. But <laughs> yeah. uh, because women are not allowed to be sexy and smart, everybody, it's one or the other. Anyway, well, I mean, that's because not <laughs> enough people have met you and I. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Um, but I'm like, so kidding. So, sort of this About whole like, stop. Sort of this whole this whole discussion in this episode and the next one that we'll talk about uh, next week about how um, emotions simply are, and it's what you do with them that makes a difference, or that you know counts. And so, data then sort of admits for the first time to Troy and to, he hasn't said this to anybody else that after he killed the Borg he had another feeling and it was pleasure that he was it felt good to kill that Borg but that his ethical programming was basically telling him you're not supposed to feel that way <laughs> like you should that's his conscience right saying no, it's not right to take pleasure in the death of another living being. I like that um, he has a built-in conscious, you know, this yeah. programming. Like, I feel like there's some humans that need that. Yeah, we could use that, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> some people need to have theirs turned up a little bit. Right. <laughs> um, but I, I just think it's, like, really kind of progressive for a show in the 90s to really be talking about, you know, feelings are your feelings, and you should... And, and yes, you, you've expressed anger once, so why not try to express it again if that's the one emotion that you felt so far? And you don't, you know, the, it really, I don't know, it just really touched a chord with me to say, this is so progressive for an early 90s show to say that. Because I feel like now it's definitely more accepted to say things like that, but you know, back in the 90s and, you know, it was sort of this whole idea of like, oh, well, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't feel that way. And you shouldn't, you know, anger is bad. That's a bad emotion. But um, th this first episode in particular really explores what it is to have feelings and to express those feelings. 
Am I right in thinking that, I don't know if we were just about to talk about that or not, so please stop me if that's the case, but am I right in thinking that he, when he was talking to Deanna Troy, he's saying that, you know, he tried to subject himself to different types of stimuli like operas and holiday programs and even erotic imagery to produce a different type of emotion. So am I right in thinking that he kind of, you know, being that he has that conscience, if you will, that program in him, that, that ethical program in him, was he trying to, you know what I mean? Was he trying to find like a workaround because he knew that he really wasn't like capable of going back to that on his own? I think you're kind of right there, Dan. I, I think it's a mixture of that and data feeling, feeling yeah. <laughs> or, or data uh, being reluctant to return to that because I think there was almost a bit of shame in the fact of him taking pleasure in killing another person creature mm -hmm. that he almost felt like I can't go back to that now. Like right, I can't, because, I can't re it's wrong to revisit that. Which is, yeah. And it's like why she asked him that in the first, mm -hmm. so why aren't you going back to trying this? You felt this right. one, you know, this one worked. Why aren't you going back to it? That's what I took from it. I just thought, mm -hmm. you know, it was something where his programming was telling him, you're not supposed to feel this way. So try mm -hmm. something else, you know? Yeah. I would, I would tend to agree with you on that, Dan. Mm -hmm. I think his programming was telling him to stay away from that. And I agree because uh, I feel like it was shown because he said to Troy and to Jordy both that what if anger is the only thing he can feel? And right. that even though he's sort of feeling his ethical programming is almost making him scared that he's only going to be angry and that would make him a bad person and he just wants to be a good human person and he's not any of those things yeah i i actually thought that that was incredibly um it was very touching in mm -hmm. a way like here is this android who is, is supposedly incapable of feeling things although throughout the series it's sort of like are is he though because i kind of think he does feel things um the idea of like what if I'm trying so hard to have feelings and emotions and all I can feel is this one thing and I don't want to just be known for being that angry guy. You know what I mean? Like, oh, oh, there goes there goes data, that angry guy. All he ever is is angry. <laughs> like no person wants to be yeah. thought of that way. Like I, I you know what I mean? Like I, I, I would imagine like Dan, you, you don't want people to be like, oh, here comes Dan. He's always mm. angry. You know, yeah. like that, like nobody wants that. And it's interesting to think that if he thinks that he is the only, that that's the only kind of uh, feeling he can have, that he would be that all the time. But it all, it seems like that's what he thinks, you know, that something in his program is telling him, you know, now that he's felt anger, that's how he's always going to be, you know? And yeah, who, who wants to be that guy? Yeah. Hmm. No. <laughs> I'm over no. here thinking about, sorry. I'm like, is that it? Yeah, I think that's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because like, again, sorry, I guess my pause really comes from the fact that again, you know, I'm, I'm rewatching the show, but from what I can get from it, data is always kind of in that constant pursuit to be more human. Right. Is yes. that, isn't that kind of his deal? So, yeah. so it's like, if he's able to successfully have this type of a negative feeling where it brings in not only one feeling of, of anger, but also that pleasure feeling, it's almost like, Ooh, maybe I shouldn't even go near this then, you know, like, right. Maybe I failed. Maybe I should just stick to being the Android that I was programmed to be. Yeah, I, I absolutely. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Like, I think that's almost like an instinctual protection of like, if this is the only thing I can feel, well, then better not to feel anything. Yeah, but I have to agree with you, though. And that's what I was getting at before when I was talking about my appreciation for the next generation is that 
and I think you said it better, but they were definitely tackling subjects that a lot of shows weren't tackling at the time. That's what I'm getting from it just off the initial watch of, you know, rewatch, starting to rewatch again, is that they were doing these things like, you know, like you were saying, like in the 90s, they didn't really, they would give you one part of it, your experience in the anger. They didn't give you the, the why. And and I I really appreciate that about this show. I just think that it's very progressive and uh, it's something that's making me want to continue watching it. That's something I've said before, well, similar, I guess, um, that this show is, it has a lot of heart and interesting storylines and all that. It just happens to be set in space on a spaceship. It's a really good, It's it's got su- such good storylines. Yes, some of them are terrible, whatever. You can't have a show that has every single episode be amazing. I mean, I know there's people out there probably yelling out their favorite show right now, but whatever. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think that's why it was so popular is because so many people could watch it because it really dealt with the human condition and happened to be sci-fi, too. Yeah, ab- absolutely. The scene we skipped is has to do with the storyline, but it didn't have to do with Data's storyline. So, you know, if you were watching it and you're like, wait, I didn't think that happened then, that's fine. It's natural. <laughs> we have Captain's Log, and this is Stardate 46984.6. And that equates to Thursday, September 4th, 2369, and it's about 9, 9 59 58 a.m. Almost love... 10 a.m. Yes. Two seconds away. It's, yeah, it's a uh, it's few minutes and seconds away from, you know, 24 hours after their last Captain's Log. <laughs> At least he's consistent. Oh, sure. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so we have um, Admiral Ilana Nechayev. I cannot remember. Her. Uh, so she comes in. She's on the USS Gorkin, and she assigns the Enterprise to head a three-ship contingent. Uh, there's going to be 15-ship task force uh, in this sector, and their three ships are going to be the Enterprise, of course, uh, the USS Crazy Horse and the USS Agamemnon. And USS Crazy Horse is the first time we have a Star Trek ship named after a Native American, which is pretty cool. Awesome. Yeah. And then I just remember Agamemnon from my history books. <laughs> <laughs> and Necheyev kind of berates Picard because he sent Hugh back to the collective. Um, and, you know, Obviously, they're thinking, <clears throat> they're thinking, oh, it's Hugh that did this. It's his fault, you know, and Picard's the one that let him go back without giving that uh, disease to everyone else. Uh, so, quick note, uh, Dan, do you know that episode by any chance? I was planning on interrupting you, actually, <laughs> because I'm, I, I assume that there is a full-on episode where we learn about Hugh. Yes. Uh, it's okay. called I, Borg, and... We have a Borg that they pick up and they bring back to health. Um, he realizes that everyone else has names. And then he starts to sort of uh, come into his own. And he's like, oh, do do I have a name? And then they come up with Hugh as his name. And so he starts, you know, using his own pronouns and not being we, not being part of the collective. And they were going to put a virus or something in, in his programming so that when he went back and then shared it with everyone they would all 
die. So basically, it was genocide. That's the one where uh, Captain Picard was racist for a second because he was going to commit genocide. He was down with some good old-fashioned genocide, huh? Right, right. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one because it seems like it... I mean, obviously, it's playing into this one here, but it, yeah. I, I found Hugh to be a very interesting character, yeah. so I can't wait to get to that one. Yeah, and uh, we saw him in one of the Picard trailers. Or was he in both of them, Rebecca? I know it was he one for sure. He was in... He was in for sure the second one, and I don't recall seeing him in the first one. It he may have had a flash in yeah. that first one. He, if but... I don't remember it either, he must not have really been full front. Yeah. Oh, that yeah. just sounded that just sounded dirty. Sorry, he must not have been like in the forefront or something in a scene. Yeah. In the yeah. First. So so Dan, um, we're recording this in the future, but uh, we will be releasing an episode that we did about Iborg, which is that the, the episode that we're talking about. So you can uh, certainly skip ahead if you like to in your rewatch, watch that episode and then listen to our recap. Uh, we talk a little bit about, about that episode. I will. And it's safe to say that, I mean, I, to some degree, I can jump around a little bit, right? Like, oh, I know it's a yeah. serial and everything, yeah. but you can jump around and... and There's not... Uh, yeah, th- this this version of Star Trek does not have overarching stories. Yeah. Um, Deep Space Nine has overarching stories, so if you jump around too much, you, you probably get a little lost, but... With uh, Next Generation, they while they they do make references to previous stuff, it's all stuff you can Google or look up on Memory Alpha, uh, which is the Star Trek fan site, and it'll give you sort of the the back catalog of of characters. Yeah, um, cool. uh, Memory Alpha is like the wiki. So before recording, you said that you like Star Wars. Uh, if you've ever got on Wikipedia, it's the same sort of thing, only for Star Trek. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Yeah, you know, I, we're doing two episodes a night now, so maybe I'll make Iborg one of those. Iborg, oh, correct? Yeah, yeah Iborg. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Oh, awesome. I'm down. Gonna watch it. Yeah, it's like uh, like season five or something, maybe? Yeah, right Yeah, right around there. There's a lot it of just... Borg. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I was gonna say, there's a lot of Borg-centric episodes in this recap, because um, in Picard, we see... You know, we see Hugh in one of the trailers, but also Seven of Nine is going to be a fairly prominent character, um, and she had been a Borg. I don't know if you know much about her, Dan, but... Um... No, I know who she is. Okay. I was going to say, Rebecca could probably tell you a little more than I can, because I didn't watch that yeah. generation. Yeah. Yeah, she was on, on Voyager. <laughs> yep. Um, but ju- just a quick note about Admiral uh, Necheyev. Mm-hmm. We do see her in a couple of episodes throughout... <laughs> Uh, next generation uh, the reason why we see her fairly frequently is that she is captain picard's direct superior and um so he he basically reports to her and she is very tough uh-huh. i thought you were gonna say it was because she was like so the actress was someone's wife <laughs> So oh. <laughs> oh, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think they, she was like... No, yeah. No, I don't think so. Um, <laughs> she's very tough. And one of the reasons I think why um, she is so tough is because she worked with the Cardassians to establish that first treaty that ended the Federation Cardassian War. So she has been around. She has... Um, had to deal with a lot of really tough, difficult, I would go as far as to say as toxic masculinity as portrayed by the Cardassians. And so she and Picard do not always have a great relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, 
In fact, there's an episode earlier on where, you know, where she comes to the Enterprise and he's quite nervous Mm -hmm. because it's like, you know, your boss is coming Mm -hmm. and um, he like puts out special tea for her. (laughs) He finds out what her favorite food is. I forgot about that. Ready. And at first she's like, all right, down to business. And then she's like, oh, you made that thing I like. And <laughs> and, and it really, it changes her. She's, mm-hmm. she, she kind of softens up a little bit. But I, I kind of like her character because she's a woman who's had to deal with a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's made her tough. Mm-hmm. And I like that about her because she's not defined by anything other than she is a tough as nails admiral Mm -hmm. i yeah i totally uh, agree with you Uh, i wrote in my notes everyone that she's a ball buster as they say (laughs) i didn't put Mm. quotes around it but i should have and i said no wonder she got this far because she you know she has really worked very hard and she's had to be no nonsense because you can't as a woman it's a little harder to have too much compassion to be in like a you know a place of power like that I think um especially like in the 90s it definitely would have been a thing and you know even though they're supposed to be in the future they're still kind of relying on some of the 90s cultural aspects uh, sure but, future setting 90s writing yeah and i said that i stand her assertiveness because i have a hard time being assertive sometimes <laughs> So I, I, I like her. And with that other episode that Rebecca mentioned, um, it's really great because it shows that she is a person and that she's not just a, like a one-dimensional, angry, mean boss or whatever. She can be like a real person and be like personable and soft and, you know. Yeah, it's good to know they're flesh, they flesh that character out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, she's got dimensions. Even if you only, you know, so if you only see her in this episode, no, she has other dimensions because she's a little <laughs> angry in this. <laughs> so Picard says that he was ethically compelled to respect Hugh's wishes of going back to the Borg, being normal. Not he wanted to stay, but he didn't want to stay. That's part of the whole thing. And he decided he had to go because he didn't want anybody else to get hurt in that episode. I'm sorry I'm giving you any spoilers, Dan, but it's still a good episode. No, no, we're good. We're good. <laughs> well, I, I also think, too, like, if Hugh had not gained individuality, if he remained a mindless drone of, you know, we are the Borg, you will be assimilated, if he remained that way, Picard would have had zero problem sending him back with a virus to kill the entire collective because it's easy to kill a thing that doesn't seem to be really alive. Mm -hmm. It's really easy. And so once you began to show that he was an individual and started using pronouns like I, me, now it becomes harder Mm -hmm. because now you are taking a person who is conscious of who they are Mm -hmm. and you are going to use them as a pawn as a weapon of mass destruction Mm -hmm. and this scene is a great scene because picard is like standing up for his morality and nechev is like i don't give a you know what about your morality you need to put your morality on the back burner and Mm -hmm. do what you got to do to defeat this enemy i think this kind of shows how she has she, her superiors are probably breathing down her neck that all of these, you know, people were killed and all this stuff is happening. So she's got to tell him, this is what we have to do. And we have to do it by the book. We can't, you can't throw in this ethics right now because 
the rest of them are killers, you know, kind of thing. And mm-hmm. these, even though they have their own sort of individuality now, they are definitely killers and even even worse than just assimilating people. They're actually just out there murdering people. It also shows that she doesn't necessarily do that to him very often because, I mean, let's face it, Picard does all kinds of stuff. <laughs> he does some crazy stuff sometimes. He gets away with it because it, it, it usually ends up being for the greater good. Not this time, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> the scene that's after we see uh, Data talking to Troy in her office, uh, we have a supplemental captain's log, so no star dates for us. So we just assume it's still the same day. They've been on patrol for 16 hours, and there haven't been any more Borg encounters. But the tension is still pretty high on board, obviously. The New Berlin colony calls in an attack, you know, oh, a false alarm. You know, like, they were like, oh, never mind. (laughs) And during all this time... Wasn't it like the third one that day? Yeah, something. They'd had... (laughs) That's the only one we know of for sure. (laughs) I I do like how Picard tells Worf, he's like, transmit another copy of the... of Starfleet's <laughs> regulations about ship identification and tell them to read it this time. Like, yeah. he's so angry. <laughs> no time for this. <laughs> Picard gets kind of, like, snappy and, and annoyed a lot in this in this episode. It's kind of funny. Because, you know, he's always so cool and collected with things. So, the meantime, they've been, you know, hanging out on their patrol for all these hours, and they've done analysis of the subspace distortion. It's Revealed as an artificially created energy conduit, which then they label transwarp conduit. Picard goes into his ready room and he's reviewing some of the video of Hugh and getting all sort of melancholy. And <laughs> Riker comes in. Picard expresses to Riker that he might have some second thoughts and some regrets about letting Hugh go back without destroying the rest of the Borg. Because, you know, oh, if he had known this would happen, all these people would die and all this kind of stuff would happen, then, you know, he would have never let that happen. He just... uh, Riker tells him it was the moral thing to do, but Picard's still sort of conflicted about it. He could have been... It was like it was an opportunity to destroy the whole collective, but... So that would have kept them from uh, assimilating more people and all that kind of thing. But it would be genocide. And then he seemed to be more of a person. He wasn't like a toaster. You know, he wasn't like your your computer home network, you know, hooked up to your, you know, your refrigerator and all that stuff that can be connected to the internet now. You know, he, he wasn't one of those anymore. He was actual individual. And mm-hmm. he's got all these conflicting feelings. And <laughs> Riker's just trying to be like, well... You know, it's okay. Don't you know? He's trying to talk to him, and then he goes, "I don't want excuses." Number one, I want answers. It's like, wow. <laughs> you know, someone's barky today. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> like he just went from like sad about things to you know jumping down Riker's throat there. So, but you know, it's just because, like I said, he's conflicted. Like a data, he's having feelings. He's having to deal with. <laughs> Maybe that's the that's, that's the, the core of this. feelings. Everyone's got them. It's a lot in one day. Yeah. <laughs> so we go to the next scene, and Jordy walks in on Data uh, in this hall of 
deck simulation. Uh, and it's recreating the experience he had with the Borg on the outpost. And he was just coming by to see if Data wanted to come back to work or not. Because, you know, Data's his best friend. Data likes to work. Maybe they need his help. I don't know. You know, <laughs> he's, he's worried about them because they're friends, you know. And, ugh, like, Data, he keeps trying to duplicate this sort of feeling of anger and then being pleased by the anger. You know, being happy that he killed this Borg and he can't. And he keeps repeatedly doing this and he keeps in increasing the strength of the Borg. He doesn't recreate the same sort of internal feelings to himself. Data asks him if he could help him deactivate the safety protocols which I think this is the first time that we have to have two people two upper level officers <laughs> do it. Yeah, yeah, this is like the first time they introduce this protocol because the holodeck, yes, has like safety. Like, you can't make a program that's powerful enough to kill you. The computer won't let it happen. Like, the computer mm -hmm. won't let you do that because it's protecting you. But now they're saying, oh, if you have two senior officers, you can override that. And I'm like, right. well, that's new. I didn't know you could do yeah, that. Yeah. And I, and they had, I mean, before it would just be like, computer turn off this regulation you know or whatever <laughs> it's like yeah. okay right so that's kind of weird let me ask you if sorry to interrupt you but do they ever go back spoilers but do they ever go back to that or is this just like a one-time thing where they they talk about this feature that's never been utilized Don't before remember because there's only one more season after this i think i mean certainly they do mention the safety protocols yeah. like throughout the series but, like, this idea of disabling them and you need two senior officers, and I'm sure somebody will correct me if who knows more about Trek than I do. I think this is the only time that they mention that you need mm. two senior officers yeah. to override that, I, I, I think. think. I think you're right. You know, if someone uh, thinks we're wrong, well, if someone can prove that we're wrong... <laughs> I don't, please. Please correct us please. gently, people. We are, we are just people after all. <laughs> <laughs> trying to put on a show. Yeah, exactly. Jordy thinks it's very unsafe for Data to, like, take out these protocols because they're dangerous levels. You know, he's like, oh, you could kill yourself kind of thing. You know, he says, Data, this is crazy. Like, I haven't put that in my notes because he's just, he's trying to tell them that he's, go into extremes for this it's sort of interesting because you know Jordy's like you know you could you shouldn't put your life on the line but still if there are backup protocols to keep someone from killing themselves using you know the uh, program to kill themselves would it still count because data is technically a machine to the computer like i don't know so maybe Jordy's got to keep that level head though and just make sure i mean he's a man that follows protocol clearly so this mm -hmm. isn't something that he's going to endanger his best friend or himself or his crew. But it did seem like it was a little bit enticing to him. I thought maybe he was going to go that way, help out his buddy. Yeah, you know, you, I, I, I kind of liked that moment where Jordy was like, 
should I do it? Like, should I help him do this thing? Because at the end of the, I mean, Data throws the argument out there of like, well, it is, it's my life to risk. And Jordy is like, oh, well, he's got a point. And, you know, certainly when they go on away missions, their, their life is at risk. So, you know, you do see Jordy kind of struggle with that, but then he's saved by the bell. And he doesn't have to make Mm. the decision. Yeah, definitely. It's hard whenever your best friend wants to do something crazy and you're like, well, I mean, this is what you want to do and it's only going to hurt yourself, but I don't know. (laughs) Kind of thing. (laughs) Okay, so the next scene, the Enterprise receives another distress call. It's from the MSI colony. And... It's not a uh, false alarm this time. So they immediately respond and they see the Borg vessel. They immediately give chase and they are pulled into the transwarp conduit as it tries to flee the system. It's kind of weird because the Enterprise was the nearest ship again. It's like, what? You know, what's going on here? Picard starts to get a little suspicious because there were 15 ships in this fleet keeping mm-hmm. keeping watch and it's kind of weird that it was right next to them again borg ship re-enters the vortex and it disappears when you know the enterprise comes in but they get caught in the wake they keep following and when they get on the other side borgs show up on their ship it's like hey guess what we're here <laughs> you know uh, <laughs> and of course there's a fight and, you know, they're on the bridge and everyone's fighting and everything. One drone is killed and another one is wounded. So, and there's a guy. There is a, one of the Federation guys over in sort of a little doorway. And Riker's like, Franklin's dead. So, <laughs> so in my notes I put, and Franklin's dead? We don't know who Franklin is. <laughs> and what's funny is then whenever they go back and you see... They show like Riker again. You see a guy like standing there, sort of looking around. According to the production artist Andrew Prober, uh, in the original blueprints, he put a bathroom there behind that other door. So it's like, yes, that is the bathroom. So the other <laughs> yeah. security guy. So he went into the bathroom. These Borgs come on the ship. One of his coworkers is murdered right in front of the bathroom door, and he like opens it up and is like, "What just happened?" <laughs> Oh, man. I, just, yes. I really had to pee, and then look what happened. <laughs> Timing yeah. is everything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all this uh, distraction, you know, all this stuff going on forces the Borg ship to escape. And here's the thing. They don't take the wounded and and killed guy. They just take everybody else and get the heck out of Dodge. Like, usually they take all their Borgs, whether they're alive or dead, because they can you know reclaim parts and stuff but nope not this time so that's another kind of little suspicious action from them so Worf checks the sensor logs you know and (laughs) this is great like if you go back and watch it he is he has his phaser in his right hand and he is gripping onto it so tightly like just in case they show back up he's gonna get them you know and it's great way to go good job security chief (laughs) but uh you know they figure out that the borg must have beamed on to create some sort of diversion you know so they could get out so then we go on we're in 
the brig, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> and we have a Borg in the cell laying on the little bed area. Uh, Dr. Crusher is checking him out. Worf is standing there keeping a watch on her to make sure it doesn't attack her kind of thing. Then outside the cell, we see Picard and Data, and um, Dr. Crusher is giving her findings about the Borg. Uh, You know, he seems like he's going to be, he'll heal fine. He's got some problems, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, Picard is like, wake him up. I'll, you know, but... (laughs) Usually, you know, he'd be like, wake him up, Dr. Crusher, or something. (laughs) But he was like, wake him up right now, kind of like attitude, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, But yeah, everybody's really on edge, you know, like that's, and I think that that's really what this episode right now, Mm -hmm. everyone's super on edge. Mm -hmm. And Picard is like, I'm not going to let another opportunity slip Mm -hmm. through my fingers Mm -hmm. to rid ourselves of the Borg. Mm-hmm. They find out that this Borg also has a name and it's Acrosis. They have some interesting names. You know, Picard wants to know where he got this name and he said, the one gave us our names, that kind of thing. They don't have designations. And Picard is interrogating him about the one and all that. And and Croesus is like, the one who will destroy you. <laughs> and I put in parentheses, Voldemort? You know, because it's almost like (laughs) one of those kind of things. Picard assumes it might be Hugh, and so he's asking those questions, and he starts asking so many questions about why they're like this, who they are, who the one is, blah, 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 all that stuff. And the Borg, instead of responding, is... At first, he's not saying anything, so then Picard's like, I am, you know, the cutest of Borg, you will respond to my questions. And then he starts... The Borg starts spouting off, like, what... (laughs) What species each one is and how to best kill them, basically. I like that part. Yeah, it's like, oh. What's weird is there is a guy that hits buttons. He does the boop, 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 boop thing to bring down the the cell door, basically. And Mm -hmm. most of the time, there's just like a panel on the wall. So maybe there's been upgrades. I don't know. It's kind of weird. But I did see that he was Bajoran. And apparently, there was a cut line where he says something about Bajorans. How you kill them too. So he was getting everybody. (laughs) Except for Data. So everybody leaves except for Data because he's supposed to scan him and get some sort of see if he can get any kind of more information out of him. And this Borg does another not Borgy thing. He starts to manipulate Data. Which sounds like most of my job's Manipulate that. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> he, you know, says, you know, you are more superior. You should be assimilated and all that kind of thing. And Data's like, nah, bro. That's fine. You know? <laughs> and, and he keeps going by, like, telling Data, well, you could have the thing you want to feel real emotions. Yeah, Croesus is selling the dream. Yeah. He's like, you were angry, weren't you? And Data's like, uh, like he's like it's like he wants to he's got this ethical protocol that's like no no don't do it <laughs> but then he's also like i need to have more of those feelings <laughs> it's like this is where it turns into an addict i feel like this is where he becomes the dave Chappelle meme <laughs> yes where he's like y'all got any yeah. more of those emotions <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I, I would just like to point out that 
this entire conversation, including the question of would you kill your friend Jordy yes. to feel oh. this again, takes place in front of the security officer. Yeah, like I, that he, is sitting there. Like, what is homeboy doing? He just like, checked out, dismissed too. Right? Completely checked out. Was he checking Facebook? Was he <laughs> tweeting? Like. <laughs> They are, they are having this incredibly disturbing conversation, <laughs> and the security officer's like, "Oh, but what was going on on the old Instagram?" Like, just I mean, all up in my DMs right now. Maybe, <laughs> maybe he's deaf. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. It's maybe like that's what it was. Something I was thinking about. Oh my gosh! Is you know how there's not really any disabilities except for Jordy is blind, and there's oh implants and stuff. It's like he was on Space Tinder. That's what it was. Oh, that's was probably what space it was. <laughs> He's trying swiping get, left. Trying to get that good date for the night. There you right. go. <laughs> He's like, who's going to sit with me and 10 forward tonight? <laughs> Data seems to be really taken in by this Borg talking about, you can have emotions, you know? Uh, it's really sort of interesting. Um we go back to the bridge, and the crew discovers that the vortex that they had entered is a form of conduit that allows them to travel from one star system to another, which is kind of what they figured that the Borg were doing, and it's almost instantaneously. Jory compares it to getting, like, swept away, like, in a river stream. What did I say? Current. That's the word I was looking for. I wasn't looking at my notes, everyone. Because <laughs> um, I was trying to say like waves And I was like I just said river it, Current like a, a stream current They haven't exactly worked out How it's activated But for the moment they're They can't return to Federation space So you know they're kind of SOL at the moment but uh, you know They're trying to work on it to figure out how to get back Home they actually Had gone like 65 Light years away from where They were originally at which mm-hmm. was pretty crazy because <laughs> yeah. a light year is how far light travels in a year and light travels super fast, you guys. <laughs> what did they say? They It was like something about 20 times their warp speed or something. Yeah, didn't put it that was. Down. Yeah, it, basically they were moving at 20 times their, their maximum mm-hmm. warp. Mm-hmm. Maximum warp is like, I guess you could say warp, warp 9.9. Because warp 10 is, like, theoretically impossible because that would mean, like, infinite speed. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we're, we're talking about, if we're putting in a number, warp 180, right. which doesn't exist. Right. So, yeah, so it's it's so fast moving, which is great for traveling long distances. <laughs> it, I mean, it's great when it works. So, you can, I mean, you want to get back home. <laughs> yes, it's that whole getting home part that sucks. Yeah. <laughs> so, while they're talking this over... Worf notices that a shuttle has left the shuttle bay. And, of course, everyone wants to know who's in this shuttle. Oh, it's Data and the Borg. And Data used his credentials to get them out of there. So, rut-row. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> so, they put on a red alert. And before the Enterprise can catch the shuttle, it disappears into another conduit. The crews figured out how they can achieve a conduit, so they oh, they go through one and they try to chase it down. They're 65 light years away from their original point in Federation space. Everything is crazy. 
but they got to go back and get data and figure out what's going on. They finally track down the shuttle to a planet. There's something in the planet's atmosphere, so they can't, it's blocking their sensors. Picard and Riker, for sure, are, they make the decision to take a risk and beam down to the planet with an away team and see what's up. So, Worf and Riker, you know, our two manly men, go down there, risk their lives to see what's up. Turns out there's nothing. <laughs> <laughs> they find the shuttle. It's been abandoned. Uh, they've been there a little over three hours is what it, the shuttle, it says that it's, you know, been about three hours since it's been used. I do a little talking over uh, the communicators. We see Picard on the bridge talking with Jordy. Jordy thinks that as fast as Data can walk, you know, he could get pretty far, but if he's with the Borg, he's going to have to walk a little slower because the Borg can only probably walk about as fast as a human can, even though right. they've sort of got all these uh, attachments and things. So they might only be like 15 or 20 kilometers away. Picard is like, we're going to conduct a ground search. We're going to send out several teams. We can have a skeleton crew here. And then Jordy says... Who's going to be in charge? <laughs> Enter Dr. Crusher. <laughs> Picard puts Crusher in command. You know, before he goes down to the surface, he, you know, calls her captain and all that. And this is the third time a woman has been in, uh, in charge of the Enterprise in this series, this specific Enterprise. There was a point where Riker was in charge and he put Tasha Yar in charge while he dealt with holodeck stuff. There was a time when they thought people were dead and all this stuff. And so Deanna Troy was the highest ranking officer at the time. So that she was in charge. And so now it is to Beverly, who is actually, you know, trained for this. She's taking all the classes for this. And it took her till almost the seventh season before this happened to her. That's really sad. Yeah, it's it's interesting because um, it's it's Beverly talking about her taking the course to become a bridge officer to be able to take command it's what kind of impulses Deanna Troy to do the same thing that she then starts taking the same course to become a bridge uh, not not a bridge officer because Deanna's on the bridge all the time but to become a command uh, officer that she could take command of the Enterprise so yeah it's nice to see uh, nice to see women in charge on the Enterprise mm -hmm. although um, for the Enterprise C Mm -hmm. uh, which we do see br briefly in the episode yesterday's Enterprise. Mm -hmm. um, that captain was also a woman, but sh but uh, uh, Captain Rachel Garrett, but mm -hmm. she did never commanded the D, the yeah. Enterprise D. Yeah, I'm so looking forward to learning all this stuff. I'm sorry, I, <laughs> I find myself going, "Oh yeah, okay, all right." Putting it together as you're talking, I'm like, "Oh, there's yeah. a show I'm supposed to be doing, talk, Dan, talk." But no, I'm actually very excited. I cannot wait to just be really into it to where all my knowledge is there and I can like wax poetically about it but you're That's doing awesome. a fantastic job ladies oh thank oh. you <laughs> well, thank you, <laughs> oh you you're too kind <laughs> Picard you know may ask like instead of being like snippy and on edge and just barking orders at at Beverly he says you know if something's to go wrong could you find your way back to Federation space get everybody out of here we have we go to the planet. We see Picard and Troy and Jordy and some security officer um, scanning the land. Troy goes to the top of a hill and she's like, "Oh, I think I found something." You know, she sees a structure in the distance. Um, 
And what's cool is this is one of the few uh, shooting sites that they also use for the original series. This is how it was explained where I found it. The oak-studded hillside seen just before the fortress is spotted. Before the fortress is spotted, sorry. Um, I didn't read that through first. Hmm. It was the same location used for Spock and Layla's discussion of rainbows and dragons in the original series episode, This Side of Paradise, in case anyone was wondering. I did not, I did not know it was the same location, and I... That sounds pretty cool because I I really like that episode too of the original series The Side of Paradise. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that is a very cool factoid. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, I that's one of my favorite parts about doing this is signing all the cool <laughs> little information. <laughs> um, so then we see Picard's team at this fortress. Um, they enter the building and they're surrounded by all these sort of logos around the room you know banners on the floor and all that kind of stuff and i read somewhere that it that they were the borg sort of symbol but it's turned upside down because these are rogue borg <laughs> they're makes sense Rorg. i don't know i was trying to come up with a portmanteau it didn't work grobs. Uh, <laughs> they're grobs they're grobs <laughs> there yes. you go <laughs> so we are the grobs <laughs> So another, Borg. <laughs> another fun factoid is that this building probably looks familiar to any fans of the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers from this sort of time period, because uh, that was their command center, you know, looking for Zordon in there. Um, also, it was Camp Kittimer in Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. Yeah, so it was another Star Star Trek location. So that was pretty cool, huh? Look at you with all these factoids. I love it. I know. It's great. <laughs> uh, it's actually called the uh, Brandeis Barden Institute, in case anybody was wondering what it was called. <laughs> um, so they're in, you know, the this building, and instead of Zordon showing up, it's uh, like a, a horde of Borgs. <laughs> and they have there it's like a mob really of borgs and they're basically coming at our federation people with their pitchforks and all um so they come in from all sides and then their leader appears on a platform picard is like data no it looks like data but it does not act like data or think like data it's lore uh, you know, evil twin brother yes, that doesn't have like a little like twirly mustache or goatee or anything. It's sad. No eye patch, nothing. Anyway, nothing to tell you he's evil. Um, like Troy, <laughs> yes, Troy. Well, he's dressed in all black. That's always yes, a good. That detail. is true. He is With a like, bad guy because he's wearing all black and he's like sort of shoulder pads, but not like Romulan yeah, he's got, shoulder like, pads. He's, it's like he's got abs in the. It uh, makes, yes. <laughs> He's got, he's got pecs built into <laughs> the shirt. Like, yes. where did he get that shirt? It like, looks like he's wearing one of those like muscle costumes that pe- things that people wear under like <laughs> Superman costumes or whatever. <laughs> Absolutely, it's Joel Schumacher version <laughs> of uh, you know, everything. Sands the nipples. Yes. Is there. <laughs> That's okay because we see and I've talked about this before. We see enough of Brent Spiner's nipples poking through his shirt. Yes. <laughs> like, it happens a lot. Very, very. It's cold on the Enterprise, it's huh? It's like a little chilly <laughs> on the Enterprise. <laughs> a little chilly. I have not made my Starfleet uniform yet, but I have done a lot of 
you know, investigating, and they're like wool. So I guess it's just sort of like itch-induced or something. He really should have had Band-Aids or a (laughs) shirt on or something underneath it. (laughs) Some pasties. Uh, (laughs) So Troy recognizes that it's not Data, that it's Lore, and not real sure if it's because she senses emotions and Lore has emotions, or if it's just because he's actually making faces where Data doesn't usually. Picard realizes who it is, and, um, yeah, then we get Data, and he says, The sons of Sung have joined together, and together we will destroy the Federation. In scene. It's like, oh, oh, oh no. <laughs> because now Data <laughs> seems like he has more than just that anger, well, has that anger emotion, but he's, like, passionately angry. It's Ooh. not just, like, Bleh. It's, like, he's got a reason to pursue this this endeavor, you know? Yeah, so it's it's a little scary. <laughs> it's like I don't, you know, it's like the rise of the machines. <laughs> and they're closing on a cliffhanger too. Now, yeah. you know, we're lucky these days because we can just stream and and uh, pick right up where it left off. But do you have any idea how long in between seasons? That's what I was wondering. About three like months. Like how long people have yeah. to wait? How long? About three, three months. months. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's not bad at all. Yeah, actually. it's. I mean, they would have anywhere between like twenty-two to twenty-six episodes throughout the year and then they take the summer off and you know i guess have like a hiatus at christmas for the holiday season i know the one that i think is like the most crazy cliffhanger is best of both worlds and that one is just like insane having to wait three months for that one like this one it's kind of like okay you know like you're kind of like oh but also i'm not as worried about this board cliffhanger as i was that one (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I agree. When it comes to the to the cliffhangers, the the one uh, best of both worlds still takes it for the best cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. But this is a pretty good one yeah. though, because you know you really see Data acting out of his normal self. Mm-hmm. You we already know from past episodes how ba- how evil Lore is, mm-hmm. and um, we also know that the last time we saw Lore uh, was when him and Data were with their creator, mm-hmm. Dr. Noonien Soong, and Lore took an emotion chip and implanted it in his own brain, but that chip was meant for data. And so um, we have to imagine, if we didn't live in the future, we'd have to imagine that somehow data's emotions are somehow related to that chip that Lore has yeah. in his in his brain. So... Um, back in 93, if it was June of 93 and you just finished watching Descent, uh, you had to wait three months yep. to find out how it all worked out. Yeah, because <laughs> September is usually when they'd re- they start back up. Yeah. You know, sometimes I can't, being so used to streaming shows, like whenever it's things that are week to week, I'm like, give me the show. So it's like having to wait, <laughs> having to wait three months for a cliffhanger, like that's... That's intense, but you know. Yeah, like I ma- I made light of it because it doesn't seem that long. But if you're really into it and you get the cliffhanger, three months is forever. I mean, some of the, you know, we're all spoiled now with streaming services, but the ones that do go week to week, they're getting me again. Mm-hmm. You know, so I can only imagine what what one week is compared to three months. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a big one. So well, you know, sometimes now they have shows where the, maybe a season will also end on a cliffhanger, but and then you have to wait two months. 
six months, a year or whatever for the next one. That's frustrating, but back when you could only watch it week to week and then had always had that three-month thing, it still didn't make it any easier, you know? <laughs> yeah, probably still like an eternity. Well, and then, too, like, this is really before, you know, this is really, correct me if I'm wrong, this is early 90s. People weren't doing, like, TiVo and DVR really yet. Like, that wasn't a thing. Mm-mm. So if if you missed an episode, like, you had to wait for the rerun, and then... You know, eventually they put the whole season out on a DVD set, box set, which would cost you a lot. Well, and back um, then it took, it wasn't like, uh, oh, uh, there's a season finale and then next week you can get the box set. Like, oh, it was yeah, like a no. year or two later. Exactly. Yeah, so, yeah we yeah, are it, so incredibly spoiled these days. Yes. We are. Because if you're watching along with us on Netflix, um, you could just, you know, go to your next episode and you'll see part two of this. So <laughs> it's pretty cool. Yeah. You don't have to wait a week to watch it. No. But you have to wait a week to listen to this if you're going. Yes, by dear way, listener. You know, <laughs> uh, if you are in the future, if you're in our future, you know, more than our week in the future or whatever. Um, and you get to just go ahead and listen to all of them right together. That's cool. That's fine. We're not talking to you. We're talking to everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> the week to weekers. Yes. Yeah. Week to weekers. Um, yeah. So, I- any more thoughts on this particular episode before heading into the next episode? I will I, say. Oh, yeah. sorry. Please go ahead. No, Post- I, I was going to say that I think that we we pulled this episode apart so well. And I, I really enjoyed the little gems that we found uh, in this episode. Um, what were you going to say, Dan? I interrupted you there. No, no, no. I think I interrupted you, Rebecca. But I will say that uh, this was like a really good one for me to jump into to get like wet my palate again. And just the fact that there was, you know, granted, I don't really catch that cliffhanger being in the future as we're putting it. But this this was something that kind of just sparked my love for it again. And I just like I said, I can't wait to go back and just sort of watch everything again and get caught up to this point, because I I don't know. I don't know if it's just a timing thing or the fact that, you know, being a podcaster and watching so many different shows and whatnot, um, I'm really appreciating that there's a lot of dis- you know a lot of just time in between this what was it 93 you said something like that mm-hmm. but it's still super relevant and it doesn't feel like it's an old show it doesn't feel dated to me so I'm really excited to jump on this next generation train and just keep watching awesome so thank you I thank both of you for that yeah that's what we're here for man <laughs> but it's it's cool that we've sparked renewed interest in people kind of makes me feel good what about you Rebecca Oh, it makes me feel really happy. I mean, like, uh, again, as we're recording this, we are, what, a week away, eight days away from the premiere of episode nine of uh, Star Wars, Mm -hmm. The Rise of Skywalker. I know that that is probably on everyone's brain right now if you're you're into pop culture and especially if you're a Star Wars fan, as all of us are, um, to varying degrees. That's definitely on your brain. Um, but I, I would say, you know, I, I think it's never too late to jump back into some Star Trek. I know, I know as, as I jokingly compare them and, and, oh, this one's better, that one's better. Uh, but at the end of the day, I, I think they're two very different franchises that are both very enjoyable, to be honest. And I, I certainly enjoy both of them on different levels. But you know what? It, it makes me happy that people, you know, in the midst of the Star Wars 
fever with the Mandalorian and all that too, which I'm also watching week to week. Um, it's nice to have a little space for Star Trek still in, in 2019. For sure. Space. Uh, the final frontier, they say. Oh, have a little space for Star Trek. <laughs> I love it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and it definitely renewed, I have to say, it did renew my sort of uh, excitement for this show because I know I'd, I'd seen several episodes because I used to watch it. I've explained this to everyone before, but um, yeah, because I went back and I watched all the episodes and sometimes I go back and just watch the episodes I like just because I'm like, you know, I need a little bit of Jean-Luc Picard in his horse riding gear or whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. No, no. Zero wrong with you that. know um, uh, Beverly Crusher being intimate with a ghost alien being she thing. has sex with a ghost everybody Beverly Crusher has sex with it's a ghost that's alien. a thing that happened it's some um, alien being that's it's a thing that happened like... on this show you'll <laughs> 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 get there Dan <laughs> yes because it's season seven <laughs> you're introducing ghost sex now it's a whole nother I level know. I was not Why expecting to get to tell me I would have been on this a long time ago you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think they got a little, uh, they started to stretch it a bit in season seven. <laughs> like, what can just we do that little. we haven't done? It's like, we've just connected the saucer or talked about it an awful lot. And apparently, oh, side note, apparently that was supposed to be the cliffhanger of this episode is they were going to take apart the saucer section and crash land on the planet. And Beverly was going to be on one and Deanna was going to be on the other because neither one of them had signed up to be in season seven yet. And they were like, if we have to get rid of one of them. Oh, wow. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, (laughs) okay. That's one way to leave it open to kill off a character if you have to. If Gates McFadden had not come back, we would have never gotten the ghost sex episode. So there's that. Thanks, Gates. Right? I mean, (laughs) there's a whole... It's that ghost sex episode. Spoilers, Dan. There's a whole town of Irish settlers on some weird planet. I'm in. I'm fully in. You could have just stopped at ghost sex, but I mean, I'm in. It's a weird episode, but I love it because it's so ridiculous. I guess we don't have anything else to say about this half. Uh, Tune in next time. Do people say tune in anymore? Am I showing my age saying tune in? Uh, (laughs) Download next week for (laughs) part two of Descent, where we will be joined again by our dear friend Dan and uh, boldly go where no one has gone before. I'm going there with you for sure. Okay. (laughs) Thanks for having me. See you next week, everybody. The Cardcast is hosted by Brooke and Rebecca. You can find us at facebook.com slash Picardcast, on twitter.com at the Picardcast, or email us at Picardcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and boldly go where no one has gone before.